Because I don't know what's going on, but uh, hey, a bunch of people got saved in New York. It makes it, makes it worthwhile. Uh, God's got something for us this morning. We've gathered in his name. Amen. This movement is a Jesus movement. It's an honor to be a part of it. Amen. Not many wise, not many noble are called, okay? But Jesus started this thing we call the church. And I hope you'll get kids in camp this week and you come to camp. I'm going to be David this week. We're going to do some, uh, I'll be dressing up and doing David uh, Monday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday mornings and, and Thursday night to wrap it up. It's going to be a lot of fun. That It'll be experiencing the Bible, not just, it's like meeting David. Let him tell his story. And pray for me because I get really scared when I do this. <laughs> I'm, I'm not real confident in that, but I'm willing to try because it's just so cool, you know. It, it engages the imagery, not just information, and it's dramatic. So I hope to be a blessing, especially to young people. But all of you have done it before at camp, and adults say, this is as much for us as for the kids I'll be doing some messages uh, uh, in the evening. That'll be a real challenge. My favorite message of all time, there's none cool. No, not one. <laughs> and some of us tried really hard to be cool. <laughs> and we made fools of ourselves. Amen, guys? Especially that we tried to impress the girls. Amen? You know, I remember first grade, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was cool, but... <laughs> My wife informed me that that, that, that wasn't cool at all. <laughs> and, um, and so, hope to be a challenge. But today is a day the Lord has made. And I believe He has something for us today. We're just going to peek into John 3 and John 4. Not so much a sermon, but the story that God is writing. It's early in the ministry of Jesus. He's forming a team. He still is. And then you know who he wants on his team? All of us. And the disciples grew up hoping for, longing for, uh, before they were disciples, they were just commoners. From the, they were from the Galilee. That's Hicksville, you know? That's southern Ohio. <laughs> They're all from southern Ohio, sort of. And, and, and they ain't nobody, and they know it. But that's, that's okay. Because people who think they're somebody are the ultimate nobodies, amen? And they had grown up with this hope. And it, there wasn't a lot of hope in their nation. They're a slave nation. Because of their disobedience, they fell to Babylonian captivity in um, 686 B.C., 586 B.C., and the Babylonians fell to, to the Persians. They're under Persian dominion. Persians fell to the Greeks under Alexander the Great. And they're under Greek uh, persecution. Antiochus Epiphanes offers a swine on the altar in Jerusalem to desecrate the temple. It, they weren't good days. The Greeks fell to the Romans, and it got from, went from bad to worse. It had been 500 years plus since they'd had a, a, a government 
They had the little Sanhedrin thing. They were self-governed a little bit, but under Roman tyranny. Taxes are high, morale is low, jobs are few. It's not a good time. And so their hope is in the Lord. Kind of like our days are getting darker. And our hope is in the Lord. At the back of the book, we know who wins. Jesus isn't sweating this out. He's like, oh no, what do I do now? He's got this thing. It is in our world, as he said it would be. The glove of prophecy is now the hand of reality altogether. Now it's early in the ministry of Jesus. These people don't have much hope. And out of Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? We'll see. Come and see. And they heard the preaching of John the Baptist. It stirred their hearts. This guy preached with fire. He did no miracles, but they knew. He was so powerful, a lot of people thought John the Baptist might be the, the Messiah. And he wasn't. He said, there's coming one after me whose shoelaces I'm not worthy to untie. And sure enough, here comes Jesus. And they, they heard John, and they were moved. Then they heard Jesus, and they're in. They're following him. And I think that's most of our crowd this morning. We, we've decided to follow Jesus. And they had no clue what they were getting into. And neither do you. That's not a bad thing. A little scary sometimes, but it's not a bad thing. And I'd venture to say throughout those three and a half years following Jesus, pretty much he had them right where he wanted them. Amen? That's probably true for us too. Amen? Then we get a little crazy and do our own thing, and boom, that doesn't work. And we beat our head into that, and that doesn't work. And and finally, we just let go and let God and, let, and just die to ourselves and say, you know what, I, I really want to be a disciple of Jesus. The coolest thing in the world. That sermon, there's none cool, no, not one. Let me tell you, serving Jesus is cool. I'll just give you a sneak preview on that. And so they're in, and they're following Jesus. And this beginning of miracles did he at Cain of Galilee when he turned the water into wine. He turned my wine into water. He turned their water into wine. So, um, and they, they saw the miracles and they, they, they sensed he, he's the Messiah. He's the one we're looking for. But they got a lot to learn. They got all their baggage with them. So we, but that doesn't stop him from moving in our lives. He just wants to move that stuff out of the way so he can work in us and then the ultimate he works in us and then he works what through us let me tell you that is very cool when the lord the eternal god of the of the universe is sovereignly seated by our will we yield to him and then he's working through us that's an eternal weight of glory. We're laying up treasures in heaven where moths and rust don't corrupt and thieves don't break through and steal. So they're in. They're following Jesus. And they go to Jerusalem for the Passover. This is like if you're in, you know, in football, this is like the Super Bowl. You know, If you're in New Orleans, this is like the Mardi Gras. That's, oh, that's a terrible illustration. I've got to stop using that. But this is the big deal. They're in Jerusalem for the Passover. And the, the nation is divided. 
The religious crowd's rejecting Jesus. He's a little bit out, out of control. He doesn't obey their man-made rules, and they can't control him. And he didn't go to the right university. He didn't study at the feet of the right people. And he's not one of us. He's one of those guys up from Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And they hate him. And they're discrediting him. They don't believe the miracles, but the people who are experiencing the miracles, they believe. And the nation is dividing over Jesus. We still are. You know, one man, one woman with life, the nation's divided over that, amen? I mean, everything God says our nation is pretty much against today. From the Supreme Court level all the way down. I'm trying to draw the parallels between then and now. Got it? And so they're following Jesus. They're, they're glad to be with him, and they, they're kind of glad to be on the outside of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the, uh, the hypocritical uh, Romans, uh, or the Hebrew Jewish religious system, and they're kind of following Jesus, the renegade. Amen. I can really relate to that, following Jesus, the renegade. You know, Jesus was the original hippie. You knew that, right? We're all going to be hippies in the kingdom, living off the land, it won't be the sex, drugs, and rock and roll hippie part, but it'll be the natural living and, you know, loving one another and, you know, wearing tie-dye shirts and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's coming back, amen? I'll teach you how to do it. I'll teach you. And so they do the, the Passover thing, and it's, it's nighttime. I'm not positive, but it's in Jerusalem, and Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem, often spent the night in Gethsemane. We know that from other passages. So I'm always just kind of thinking when you get to John chapter 3, we're in Gethsemane. Can't prove it. Can't prove me wrong. But Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, comes to Jesus by night saying, Master, we know that you're a teacher come from God for no man can do the works that you do except the Lord be with him. And the disciples are watching. There's a lot of drama going on here. There's the drama of Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He's well studied. He's brilliant. He's rich. He's famous. He's somebody among the Jews. And there's something about Jesus. He's, he doesn't want to have to take anybody's word for it. Do we need to change mics? Let's do that. Something about Jesus that Nicodemus needs to check it out. And so, under the cover of darkness, so his religious buddies won't see him. That's how I remember when I went to church the first time. I don't want anybody to check and see it, any of my friends to find out I went to church, you know. I'm going to lay low. And he, he found Jesus. And just picture it, Gethsemane. Jesus live at Gethsemane. And he throws out John 3.16, live, face-to-face. Jesus, the omnipotent, virgin-born Son of God, couldn't lead Nicodemus to the Lord himself with John 3.16 that night. You ever think about that? The disciples are watching him. We're at the top of the social order now. And Nicodemus, he knows all the messianic prophecies. My son shall be called a Nazarene. Maybe he's thinking about that. Born of a virgin. And he remembers the Magi 30 30 years ago coming by. 
saying we come to find him born king of the Jews. Nicodemus knows all this stuff. He's trying to connect the dots. There's people in this room right now trying to connect dots. That's a wonderful thing. It's not, you're not going to connect them because you're brilliant. You're going to connect them because your heart reaches out to God and you yield to him and you're asking him to show you and he will connect the dots for you. That's what's happening for Nicodemus. He's trying to connect the dots. And Jesus goes right for the juggler. Except you'd be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thinking, the Jewish people would think, if anybody's going to heaven, it'd be Nicodemus. Jesus said, nope. If you're not born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. He's confused. He's thinking on a worldly, secular level. He said, how can man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus says, no, that which is born of the, uh, the spirit, or the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He still doesn't get it. Jesus said, the wind bloweth where it listeth. Now hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it cometh. Nicodemus, can you see the wind? No. no. Do you believe in the wind? Yeah. Well, why do you believe in the wind if you can't see it? I can't see the wind, but I can see what the wind does. I can feel it. It's real. And Jesus said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. A new birth will change everything. For somebody like me coming out of the drug culture, it changes everything. For my children growing up in church, you know, I mean, they did some pretty evil things. You know, they learned sign language and they talked during church when I was preaching behind the chair so I couldn't see them. They were wicked sinners uh, uh, about in the wilderness where Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness. Remember, they had sinned and the scorpions were stinging them. And and God told Moses to do something that seemed kind of crazy to them, make a brazen serpent, put on a pole, hold it up, and all who will just look and believe will live. Look and live, my brother, live, uh, look and live. And Nicodemus knew that story well. And Jesus said, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believed in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him. It's not that complicated, Nicodemus. It's not about religion. It's not about the law. It's not about being good. It's just about coming to God as we are, hum- humbly. It's the only way we can come to the Lord. We come in arrogance, you're turned away immediately. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And he just wasn't ready. And he goes away in sorrow. Disciples are watching. That's a big part of the story. They're watching, hey, oh, this is great. If we get Nicodemus saved, maybe they'll turn around and the religious leaders will start liking us and we'll be popular and we'll be cool. And God doesn't need cool people. He doesn't need the crowd. He doesn't need the religious leaders. He just he just got people who look to him. And the disciples are kind of like, yeah, he's going he's gonna to follow Jesus. Who? No, he's not. And he goes away. Next day, we're in John chapter 4 now. Jesus says to them, I can't see since my cataract surgery. I got these readers, but I'm just, I remember seeing people put these on when they're reading, and then they'd look up at you like this and look down like this, and I thought, that is weird. I would never do that. Well, guess what, gang? Here we go. One chapter, chapter 4, he says in verse 4, he must needs go through Samaria. The disciples were like, what did you say? He said, we're going, we must go through Samaria. And the disciples are like, we don't do Samaria. They're Samaritans who live there. They, they broke the law of Moses. They're bad people. 
Jesus is like, uh, you're like, you're all bad, right? For all the sin. We're going through Samaria. Like, we don't want to go through Samaria. We'll walk around. We'll meet you on the other side. But they, they surrendered. Jesus is getting them outside of their comfort zone. You want to experience God? See, God's not a cosmic vending machine. You put it in the right prayer, throwing your t- down your tithes and offerings, and you get what you want. That's not how it rolls. It's a worship thing. It's a relationship with him. That he speaks to us, then he speaks through us, then he advances his kingdom through us. As we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things are added unto us. That's how it works. That's the divine plan. Okay, we'll go through Samaria, but we're not going to like it. We're not going to talk to anybody. So they get up into Samaria. The, the uh, Jacob's well is there. It's midday. And because these things, when I, put, when I put these on, I can see my text. When I look up and see you, it's like an ocean going, and then I get nauseated. And I don't want to get sick while I'm preaching. So I'm just going to take those off, and I'm going to tell the story. Okay. And it's midday, and the woman is at the well to get water. The good women of the town, they come in the morning when it's cool to get the water, but the good women of the town will have nothing to do with this one because she's a harlot. This woman has been abused. She doesn't know peace. She's an outcast in her own town. She's a persecuted person. She's been abused by men. Religion has failed her. She, she's a bottom dweller. And the disciples see her and are like, bye-bye, you can stay here and get a drink of your water if you want to. But we're going to town, we'll get some food, and we'll be back, and we'll get out of town, and we'll just get out of here because we don't like this place. So they go into town. It's a one-on-one with Jesus now. Last night, Nicodemus, we're at the top of the social order. Bad English, but y'all understand. Y'all, here it comes. Ain't nobody listening up on the top of the social order. I'm not sure God has a top of a social order. I think that's man-made. Amen. Now we're at the bottom. It turns out somebody's going to be listening. You want God to use you for his glory? You want to lay up treasures in heaven where moths and rocks don't corrupt and thieves don't? You want to you really make your life count? Be willing like Jesus. Jesus in you is already willing. Will you yield to him to come on down to where people are really hurting? Soup kitchens, county jails. Go where the poor, where the people are poor. Getting involved in the food pantry. And so the disciple and Jesus does a one-on-one with her. And he's friendly. It freaks her out because the Jews wouldn't even speak to the Samaritans, number one. Men wouldn't really speak to women in public, number two. So Jesus is breaking all social protocol of his day. He's completely soci- socially and politically incorrect. Jesus doesn't play those games. He doesn't play the race game. He doesn't play the poverty game. He just doesn't do go there. And so she's shocked that he's friendly with her and asks, can you get me a drink of water, please? And she's, like, not used to people being respectful towards her and kind to her and kind of making her feel a little bit of a social value. And uh, there was an innocency and purity about Jesus that made her be at, at ease and comfortable 
and they're talking about, oh, our father, our father's at this well, and she's kind of little religious overtures there. And um, Jesus said, well, I have water to drink that you know not of. And she doesn't get it. Oh, you don't have a rope or a bucket. How and um, he begins to converse with her. We've got to learn to connect with people, folks. Just connecting with people first. I used to run by throwing gospel tracks out the window, you know. Jesus saves! Drive by 90 miles an hour. People were not all that interested. Oh, yeah, I'll follow you. He connected with her. And she was listening. And he's bringing this towards something. See, Jesus is working in our lives. He's bringing us towards something. It's no coinkydink that we're here today. It's not by chance you're hearing this message today. Jesus is trying to build up his team. They were already his teammates. The disciples are watching this now. They saw the rejection last night at the top of the order. Now they're going to watch the reception at the bottom of the social order, if you please. And Jesus, and she's very warm and like, and then Jesus sets her up and says, well, why don't you, we know that the Messiah comes and, and he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said, well, why don't you go tell your husband? And she sort of kind of tells the truth. Oh, I have no husband. And Jesus said, uh, that's true, sweetheart. I don't know if he said sweetheart, but I'm going to throw it in there. That's true, sweetheart. You have no husband. But the man you're living with is not your husband, but you've already had five husbands. And in my terminology, back from my background, we say, busted! I perceive that you are a prophet. We know that the Messiah comes, and when he comes, he'll tell us all things. She's the first person that Jesus straight up confessed to her. I that speak to thee am he. Amen. He revealed that not last night to Nicodemus on top. He revealed that to a Samaritan harlot woman on the bottom. Amen. And she was listening. And she wasn't just listening with her ears. She was listening with her heart. Jesus likes that. <laughs> when we listen to him with our heart. She drops her water bucket, runs in town, tells the disciples, or tells everybody, I found a man that told me everything I've ever done. The Messiah, the Redeemer, he's here. It's Jesus of Nazareth. He told me everything I've ever done. And, uh, and she wins half the town to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't it be great if we could win half the town to Jesus this week? She did it in one day. That's the Savior that would like to reveal himself more deeply to you and I and speak through us to reach people of the town. And a lot of the people of the town that knew her didn't really like her, amen, for lots of reasons. But they could see a twinkle that had never been in her eyes before, uh, a skip in her step that had never been there before, a hope, a peace, a joy. And they were convinced something supernatural happened to this girl. 
And they were right. So the disciples are back with the food now, and they're watching this closure of this event. And they don't want to, I ain't saying nothing. I'm just going to watch and get out of here as soon as possible. <laughs> and then Jesus, she runs into town, drops her water bucket, and forgets all about that because we're not on the, on the temporary side of things. We're on the eternal side of things now. And so she, uh, she runs into town. Her disciples are watching. And they're, they don't know what to say. This is kind of weirding them out a bit, amen? And Jesus says this to them. I have meat, and some versions say bread to eat, that you know not of. He wasn't talking about the groceries they just picked up in town. He was ministering. The Word of God one-on-one -on -one with a bottom dweller. I have meat to eat. I have bread to eat that you not eat of. I guess if I'm going to title this message today, I call Jesus. Give me a bite of this bread, please. Amen. W would you like a bite of that bread? I, I think that's sort of why we're here today, isn't it? Give me a bite of that bread. And they're, they're listening to this, and it's loaded. And they don't really want to be here. The Samaritans are making them uncomfortable. And then Jesus says, we're going back into town. We're going to spend a couple of days here. Folks, get used to it. I remember first time I went into the jail, they locked me down into a room with a little window about this big. I'm in there with 40, con uh, 40 guys from the jail, no security, nothing, me and Jesus. Turns out Jesus was enough, amen? I be remember being so uncomfortable. Now it's my favorite place to be in jail or junior camp. That's second. There's not much difference, amen? And so the disciples are on a, he, he, Jesus has them on a discipleship program. Folks, you're, you're on a discipleship program. And it's not put together by the preacher, and your deacons and your leaders. Your discipleship program is being put together by Jesus. He's going to guide you into a run into somebody at work and that, that you can't stand to be around. They're going to abuse you. He lets that stuff happen. He gets us outside of our comfort zone. So I want to close out my message today with a couple stories. I remember when I got my first bite of bread. I went to Cook Road Baptist Church in May of 1972, drug dealer, messed up, heard the gospel, the Spirit of God began to convict me of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. I found I was on my way to hell. Uh, that's a no-brainer. Anybody with a brain, don't, you don't want to go to hell. Uh, and then there's a place called heaven. Jesus will give you eternal life. By he paid for my sins on the cross. I heard that. I believed the gospel. I got saved, and God was working in my heart. He called me into the ministry, and I didn't even know what it was, but I surrendered to it because it was awesome. He got a discipleship program for me. I got involved in church. Every time the doors were open, I'm there. I'm trying to find out what I can do, what I cannot do, and, and, and I'm serving the Lord. I got invited to serve on the bus ministry, so I did, and I showed up for bus visitation on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. I'm, you know, I'm growing. I'm on fire. I'm serving the Lord. I'm going to go out and reach these kids for Jesus. I show up to the church. I'm the new kid on the block. They're going to show me how to do it. I'm about a month into this program. Nobody shows up. I'm mad. You guys are supposed to be here to train me. You didn't even show up. I'm out of here. 
I'm not going to do bus ministry anymore, preacher. These guys wouldn't even show up. That ain't right. You know what Jesus told me? Not audibly, but you know what Jesus told me? Duke, you're an idiot. Shut up. He said, you're not serving these guys. You're serving me. Maybe I kept them away for the day. I want you to go out and visit the bus kids. You got the chart. You know where they live. Go visit the bus kids. All right, I'll visit them. And I obeyed him. Nine to noon, I visit my bus kids. It's noon, it's lunchtime. I'm a Baptist preacher. Lunchtime is significant. And you know what Jesus told me? He said, what about the other bus route? I, said, I told him, that's not my problem. He said, no, they're not a problem. They're my kids. I love them. I love, you. I love that route as much as I love your route. I know. He said, go visit them. I said, Lord, I just visited my whole route all by myself. And you want me to go visit those guys? They got their own bus cap. Let them. He said, shut up. Go visit the bus kids. But it's lunchtime. He said, just go visit the bus kids. Okay, I'll go. So I went and visited those bus kids. It's like 4 o'clock now. I was feeling pretty spiritual. I visited both bus routes and missed lunch. I really love Jesus. I am a superstar for Jesus. My last call, I, I, the door, the, the door's open. There's a screen door. I look inside. The little girl's inside that I came to visit. She's about 10 years old. I don't remember her name. And, and she's waving me in. There's nobody home but this little 10-year-old girl. So I come in. She goes, my aunt, she's going to kill herself. I'm like, what? She hands me the phone. I'm, on, I'm 19 years old. I haven't had any suicide prevention training, you know. This gal's on the phone. She's going to kill herself. She's got a 45 to her head. She's sad. And and I don't I don't I don't know much about all this stuff, you know. I know John three sixteen, so I quoted it to her. Better than anything I could come up with. Don't kill yourself. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And I just got saved. He got me off drugs, and I don't know what your problem is. So I'm pouring my heart out to this girl, and she said, "Come over here right now, or I'll kill myself." I said, "Okay, we'll be right over." And the little girl knew. Where her aunt lived, it was only about a mile and a half away. So here I am, 19 years old. i got a little 10-year-old girl in my car. Today I'd go to prison in New York for doing this. I put her in my car. The girl told me where to go. We pull up to the place. The, the lady's inside with a 45 right to her head. The little girl's freaking out. And I said, pray. She went and got on her knees and was praying. I went in and talked to the girl. Don't kill yourself. And I just love you when he says, don't go to hell, go to heaven. And I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm saying it with all of my heart and all of my passion. She put the gun down. I took the bullets out, put them in my pocket. I guess I stole her bullets. I never thought of that before. I never did give them back to her. And the best way I knew how, I told my story, how he changed me, and he can change you. And she began to weep. And I was there for like an hour and a half. She got on her knees and called on the name of the Lord. And the next morning, she was on the bus with her. With her, uh, she became our bus captain for that bus route. And how cool is that? And she went on to live for God and, and got baptized. And and uh, she loves me. Now it's it's like six o'clock, and I got to preach. Now I wasn't a seasoned preacher. I'm just getting started this preaching thing. I was going to speak at a a college ministry, college high school, combining about eighty kids around a campfire out at Jack Carr's uh, farm. Joel's been there many times. And I realized I just spent the whole day. Remember lunch? Now it's dinner time. And I was spiritually high as a kite. 
I led somebody to Jesus. They were going to kill themselves, and they would have gone to hell, and now they're on their way to heaven. I just felt like, wow. So I go to the, I go to the campfire, and I wasn't prepared. I didn't, know what to, I didn't know how to preach. Today I got 100 sermons I could preach at the drop of a hat. Then I had nothing. But Jesus said it would be given unto you, remember? And he gave me a message. You know what message it was? This one. I preached this sermon spontaneously. Is that the word? Spontaneously? With no preparation. And the Spirit gave me unction. Around the campfire, there were these two girls. They were sisters, Terry uh, and Chris Jackson. They'd just come to the church to visit. Terry was a communist. She was a card-carrying communist party girl. And she was a mess. She was, she was dumber than me. And tears began to come down their face, and they got saved that night. Marilyn Carr led them to Christ. Now I'm driving. I, had, uh, I did have six hot dogs for dinner that night. Now I'm driving home. I left home at like 8.30 in the morning to go bus visiting. And that whole day unfolded. At the end of the day, three people got saved. Terry Jackson went on to be a missionary to Italy. Amen. This is the work of God through a 19-year-old kid who didn't want to go visiting anybody because my leaders didn't show up, and shame on them. And so I'm not going to go bus visiting by myself. You see, you have to get your eyes off people. You have to get your eyes off church leaders. You have to have your eyes on the boss, Jesus himself. I drove home that night, and I've never been so high, naturally, filled with his spirit. The joy of the Lord was consuming me. It was the greatest day of my life. Three people got saved. It was, I was buzzed. You know what? At the end of the day, what I realized, I got a bite of bread, and it's addictive. I got a bite of bread Friday night and Saturday up to Jesus fe Hippie Festival. I got to be the real me there, amen? Woodstock shirt. Authentic, man. I want to tell one more story, and we're done. I um, I told the Lord that night on my way home, I said, this is the life I want. This is the life I want. I don't care about it, the job and the money. I, I don't care about that. Lord, I want you to place me between the living and the dead with a message. I want a fire burning in my heart so hot people will come watch me burn. I was buzzed. I'm still buzzed. This never gets old, preacher. Serving God is so cool. Summer of 76, I meet Joellen. Gotta find a woman. Gotta find a woman. And you remember that, Sister Mary Elephant? Chich you didn't learn, follow Cheech and Chong? And all? I'm sorry. <laughs> all you righteous people. You don't understand my preaching. And I had all these places to go that I could have gone uh, to these ca gospel camps in Rocky Mountains and New Hampshire and Florida. And God said, go to Detroit. Hot town, summer in the city, back of my neck getting dirt and gritty. 
I don't want to go to, he said, go to Detroit. Shut up, go to Detroit. So I went to Detroit. Just go door to door to door all summer long telling people about Jesus. And while I was at Detroit, I got invited out to a prayer meeting. I went to the prayer meeting, 10,000 Beaverland Drive, Redford, Michigan. Started at 7.30. We got on our knees at 8.05. Uh, uh, a girl that just got out of work at 8 o'clock, she showed up a few minutes late because she just got out of work, and she tiptoed in over top of the bodies, and I peeked. That pretty blonde girl over there? So I get up here so you can see. I, I, w I thought she was really attractive. I forgot about my uh, the winning the world to Christ. I wanted to meet this girl. So I'm up there praying, and I'm, I want to see if there's any rings on her finger. <laughs> Amen, preacher? So I did the prayer creep. Everybody had their eyes closed, and I just kind of. I saw her hand, no rings. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. And my prayers were intensified. After the prayer meeting, and, and um, we talked, I met her, and lots of stories. I'm just going fast forward here. Uh, I asked her out the following week, and we went out, and, and our relationship began. And It was Saturday, probably five weeks after we met. And I picked her up at 7.30 in the morning in her home in the suburbs, Westland, drove to the church, got on uh, bus 28, went all around and picked up kids from all over Detroit area, uh, Melvindale actually that day, and we, we came back to the church, and her and I, along with about 30 other busloads of kids, went to Boblo Island. It was like a Kings Island type place. So we took the kids to Boblo. I picked her up at 7.30 in the morning. We spent the whole day with the kids at the island, and as of the day, I fell in love with that girl. I mean, woo, head over heels. And um, she, it took her a while for those fires to catch on. <laughs> I like to fly by the seat of my pants, amen, preacher? It's a good flight pattern. Where you heading? Don't know. Got Jesus. We'll find out. So we, we get back to the church. We take all of our kids home. We come back to the church, and there were eight children. They couldn't find where they lived. And they said, will anybody volunteer to try to find where these kids live? And I looked over, and my hand was up. The Lord said, so we volunteered to take these kids home. You know that song, My Lord Knows the Way Through the Wilderness. My Lord Knew the Way Through Detroit. We think we got them home, we think. Oh, we know this place. Turn here, turn there, and we dropped them off. Now it's like 10 o'clock at night. We're downtown Detroit, rough neighborhood. Detroit, yeah. And a I felt the Holy Spirit put on my heart, go visit this guy, Danny Johnson. He'd just gotten out of prison. I knocked on his door. Long story short, he had gotten saved, was coming to church. He was a new believer. I just felt like he was in danger. I needed to go visit him. So, yeah, let's go visit. So now it's like 1030 at night. We're in the, we're in the worst neighborhood of Detroit. I mean, he's standing out there. There's a big drug party going on in his house. He just got out of prison like 10 days or two weeks before. He got out of prison. Two days later, he meets me. He gets saved. And I'm there, and he's so glad to see us. And he's standing on outside of the church van, Temple Baptist Church van. 
and we're talking. And he's so glad to see us. He can't go back in the house because if he goes back in the house and the cops come, everybody gets busted. He goes back to prison. He doesn't want to go back to prison. So he doesn't know. He has nowhere to go. And we show up and he's happy. We're going to sit there, encourage him in the Lord, stay out of the party, don't go in there. And all of a sudden, bang, 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 cars flying by, gun flying. He falls to the ground. Joanna and I fall on the floor of the van. We're praying, bang, bang, bang. Guns are firing. We're praying. When, what would you do? We're praying. And the gunshots kind of stopped for a second. And I apologized to Joanna. I said, I am so sorry to bring you <laughs> downtown Detroit. I picked her up at 730 in the morning. It's 1030 at night, folks. Following the drift here. I'm so sorry to bring you and risk your life. And we're down here in the worst part of Detroit and guns are going off. I'm so sorry. She said, you don't have to be sorry. She said, I never felt closer to God in my life. Boy, Jesus got me out of that jam, didn't he? And uh, I told her, I said, welcome to my world. Might as well be, I was wild without God. Why not be wild for God, amen? Might as well be wild for God. And we went out to have dinner after that. And I, I think I took her home. It was about 12.30 a.m. It's a long day, but you know what happened at the end of that day? Joan got a bite of bread that she knew not of. Can you just picture Jesus standing in front of you right now? Maybe you want to close your eyes and just imagine it's Jesus. And he crazy loves you. He went to the cross. You know, already know that. He loves you. And he'd say, fear not. And he would offer you the same thing he offered those guys. Would you like a bite of bread? I have bread to eat, you know, not of. It might. Uh, this could be the most dangerous prayer you've ever prayed. This could change a lot of things. This might bring gunshots flying around your head. <laughs> this may have you on the other side of a suicide phone call. I think Jesus would say to you today, I have bread to eat that you know not of. Are you interested in that bread? Think about that. Are you interested in that? Or would you rather just live out your day's status quo? And the disciples were watching. And you know what, preacher? They got a bite of that bread. They went back in. They went in the city for the next two days. They didn't want to be there, but they learned a lot. They learned God loves everybody. The top and on the bottom and everything in between. Now, Joellen, my bride, is not wired to go into the jail. That's not her thing. But I am. She's wired to go with the kids at craft time and have 50 kids have the day of their life as she serves them in the area of her expertise. She was an art teacher. I can't even call her inside the lines. 
I can color a picture in two seconds. <laughs> when I'm done coloring, it looks like a four-year-old, what three-year-old was there. But I can take eight kids to Detroit and find find somewhere for them to spend the night. Amen. I'm willing. So we're not cookie cutters. God gives each of us different gifts and different callings, different temperaments. But the thing that it's about Christianity is it's not religion. It's not a list. Don't do that. Another list, do that. No. Christianity is a wonderful person named Jesus who comes by his Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to take the place of what we are, to give his wisdom for our folly, his love for our lust, his grace for our greed, his plenty for our poverty to change everything. And what he wants for us this morning is exactly the same thing he wanted from the woman at the well and got it from the disciples. I think they were a little reluctant, but they got it. Nicodemus didn't got it. But later on, he did. After the at the crucifixion of Jesus, he stepped out and begged the body of Jesus with Nicodemus uh, with uh, Joseph of Arimathea and participated in taking the body of Jesus off the cross, burying it, and publicly identifying himself with the Son of God. He risked it all, probably lost it all, but he found Jesus. And so this morning, Jesus has a bite of bread for you. Interested? Bow your heads, please. Just tell him, yes, Lord, I'm interested.